This episode of Tech News Day is sponsored by Factor and by Raycon. Now, if you're not a total degenerate, you may not be aware of this, but cryptocurrencies, whose proponents insist are the future of money and a hedge on inflation, are not doing so great right now. Yeah. And to be fair, the whole investment economy isn't doing so great right now, uh, particularly the stock market. But even on its bad days, the stock market does not look like this. Mm -hmm. What you're looking at right now is a feed of every cryptocurrency token that the website Coindesk tracks, captured midday Wednesday when shit was really hitting the fan. This is a lot of tokens. It takes a long time to scroll through all these, and hey, look, a couple of them are even green. Wow. But the vast majority are in the red, deep red, with single-day double-digit drops that would appear to indicate that the entire crypto market, especially the coins that your average person is less likely to know about, is going through some trouble right now. Oh, these are just growing pains, of course. This is good for Bitcoin. <laughs> this is actually great for Bitcoin. Um, but what's actually happening here? Well, it's several different things, and we have neither the economics expertise nor the time to fully explain what's happening. But the first thing is that the stock market, it's doing bad too. I mean, we're not in recession territory yet, and this might actually just be a very big and very long overdue market correction for the runaway bull market that's been happening for the last two years, in spite of a global pandemic and global supply chain crisis. Although my portfolio uh, today, it hit pre-pandemic levels, so we might be in a recession now. Yeah, uh, basically bad things have been happening over the last couple of years that in a sane economy would have made the market plateau at least a little bit, but it, it didn't. And maybe now the stock market is finally catching up with reality. Also, um, for a good handful of years there, money costs nothing. You could borrow money at next to a 0% interest rate. So a lot of people were straight up gambling on yeah. both cryptocurrencies and the stock market. Why would I keep this in a savings account where it's just going to sit there and literally lose its value? Uh, not even that. People were like, uh, what if I take, what if I took out a loan of $50,000 yeah. at a 0.5% interest rate Man, and made 15% off of it and kept the winnings? And then just roll that into more. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, that's why inflation rates, or sorry, not inflation rates, interest rates have been uh, rising yeah. uh, in order to try and stop all of that spending. Um, but what's also driving the stock market's downturn, uh, like we said, rising interest rates, a.k.a. borrowing money, is now getting more expensive. Um, also, inflation is way higher than they could have predicted or even thought. Yeah. Uh, specifically, in categories that uh, seem to be vital. Yeah, and that's another inflation like the stock market. It's, I think it's really just kind of catching up with reality. Um, you know, you can only pretend for so long that things are perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. um, in a global supply chain crisis, um, the spending power of a dollar is going to decrease in general. And in the middle of a fucking war involving a country that exports most of uh, the oil in the world, the spending power of a dollar, especially at the, at the gas pump and in any industry that depends on crude oil, it's going to be weaker. And if you weren't worried before this week, well, baby, there's a formula shortage. Yeah. Uh, um, so well, when, parents, <laughs> uh, when parents can't feed their children... Uh, that's also a really big problem. I don't uh, see what the problem is. Uh, you use your tits. What's the, I, uh, uh, that's my opinion as a man. Why don't you just use the breast milk God gave you? Anyway, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, there was a discussion on NPR the other day where they were interviewing parents who were driving hundreds of miles to get their brand of formula because it was out of stock with no, uh, with, uh, supermarkets having no idea when it was ever going to come back. Now yeah. they're trying to get one of the, like, factories that produced this in the past back up to speed. And they're like, okay, well, if we really put a lot of effort into this, we can have everything back online and running and producing a uh, formula within, uh, it was like three or four weeks. But that means that it's going to be at least eight to 10 weeks before that formula hits the shelf. So everyone's just like, great. And meanwhile, Joe Brandon's just like, we own Ukraine now. Yeah. Uh, 41. Enjoy like, fighting our <laughs> proxy war. But yeah, we're talking about crypto here, right? Not stocks and baby formula and uh, the value of a dollar. Mm -hmm. We are talking about crypto. Yes. And, you know, as much as crypto has been pitched as a hedge against stock market downturn and general market downturn, it turns out there's a lot of correlation there. Uh, the lines They line seem up. to be locked in, yeah. Um, after all, cryptocurrency is not really currency for the vast majority of people who own it. It's just another investment. So instead of being a hedge, it turns out that when stocks are all down, Crypto gets hit even harder than the stocks because it's a speculative asset that investors have alongside their stocks. And investors generally bail uh, first 
The first thing they bail on when things get scary is their uh, speculative stuff uh, before bailing on their relatively safer and less volatile bets in the stock market. Mm -hmm. But that still doesn't explain everything about what's happening in crypto, particularly what's happening to Luna and UST, two tokens that have been by far the hardest hit in the last couple of days. Um, just a bloodbath. If Decimated. You, if you, I saw one stat that was like, if you had a million dollars worth of Luna one week ago, it's now worth like $80 or something. Like just, you're all money gone. If, all your money gone. Just like you, the apes. If you had $100 in Luna this morning, you would have a penny? L- less than a penny yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, now explaining uh, Luna and UST, which is like US Terra coin, supposed to be a stable coin. Yeah, so coin. it's Terra Luna and Terra USD. Yeah. But we're just going to call them Luna and UST. Yes, we're trying to make it as simple as humanly possible here. Explaining Luna and UST and how they're interconnected is really annoying because you really need to get into the complexities of how they work or how they were supposed, supposed to work, to work uh, in order to fully explain why they absolutely do not work. <laughs> Um, the excellent YouTube channel CoffeeZilla did a pretty good job explaining Luna and UST in a recent video, uh, which we will link below. And he also has an expert on which they go into a further discussion about it. It's very good. But basically, Luna and UST are both part of a crypto project called Terra. And UST is sort of the backbone of a whole crypto ecosystem. Luna is more of a typical cryptocurrency with its value constantly changing, while UST is what's known as a stable coin with its value tied to the US dollar. But unlike other stable coins that are, at least in theory, backed by actual US dollar reserves, UST is an algorithmic stable coin. And to explain what the hell that means, the best explanation that we've seen for all of this has been from user Harmonic Union on the subreddit, of course, Buttcoin. Bitcoin is honestly, uh, like, I tried to find the best, most succinct explanation of what's happening, and this post on r slash Bitcoin by far explained it the most succinctly. Uh, Bitcoin is, you know, you have a lot of crypto evangelists. They they are trying to save people on this subreddit. Yeah. And even, there's been a lot of really dark shit in the past week uh, across various cryptocurrency subreddits, especially the Luna subreddit, which has stopped all new posting because of the amount of... I think uh, it's back now. Okay. Either way... Um, the people, yes, they do love their lost porn, but they are at least compassionate. Just be yeah. like, these people, they, this should serve as a wake up call to people who are trying to put their life savings into something. And unlike us, the users of uh, Bitcoin actually uh, seem to enjoy learning about this thing that they hate. Whereas yes. uh, for me, it's just torture. I yeah. hate it. I, the thing I hate most about cryptocurrency is they force me to actually learn what the fuck it is and how the fuck it works. And, it's a, and I'll it, never forgive it. It's a thing that is made confusing on purpose by yeah. design. So yeah. anyways, Buttcoin so, is a good sub- subreddit. Here's so here's some- the Buttcoin post. The way the algorithm works is pretty simple. You can burn $1 worth of Luna and get one newly printed UST, or you can burn one UST to get $1 worth of Luna. That's really all there is to it. As a result, whenever the price of UST is more than $1, people burn Luna to get UST at $1 each, sell it for a slight profit, and bring the price down to $1. And when the price of UST is less than $1, people buy UST and burn it to get $1 worth of Luna, driving the price back up to $1. The clever ones among you probably have one big question mark for this system. Why should Luna be worth anything at all? And that's the key to understanding what's going on right now. The system is built on the fundamental assumption that there is real money demand for Luna that you can sell to maintain the peg. If there isn't, the whole thing collapses. So the people behind Terra slash Luna burnt through billions in VC money to pay absurd interest rates, 20% plus, to people to stake UST, encouraging people to buy Luna, convert it to UST, and then lock it up. The goal here was to grow incredibly big this way, scale down the staking interest, and then, well, presumably everything would sort of sustain itself once they were a big stable coin. There didn't seem to be a real plan there. And this hits so many uh, problem points with the modern growth like, hacking. Tech, tech economy. So in a very dumb sense, this entire ecosystem was built on the fact that people were able to maintain the price of a stable coin at $1 value of US dollar. Uh, and in turn, they would make money off of being the ones that were keeping it stable. Yeah. Um, Where's that money coming from? Eh, don't worry about it. Where is that money coming from is a, uh, a point that we've hit so many times before with companies throughout the tech space. What is your business model? Burning <laughs> VC capital. <laughs> yeah. You are burning money left, right, and center in order to try to grow 
the company to where you can achieve sustainability somewhere way down the line. Yeah, I mean, somewhere like, way off in the future. Uber, that doesn't I think Uber is the biggest example of this. Where for the first, you know, up until very recently, they were losing several dollars, and that's uh, why Ubers cost a hundred dollars to go yeah, into the air now. Yeah, it's every like, every Uber ride you took for like the first ten years of its existence, they were literally losing money. Yes. And it's why something like MoviePass could even exist as long as it would, as it did, because it was like, well, you know, all these other companies were literally burning through money and they figured it out. So why can't we? So this ecosystem was literally pay. People were venture capitalists were giving a, just an outrageous amount of money. Guaranteed uh, 20% returns. And the... <laughs> the users were getting that money. It was a great thing for those users for a little bit, much yeah. like with MoviePass. Uh, but when that money goes away it could collapse. Yeah. So that post, uh, it does continue though. How did it unravel? Well, I can't say what the cause was for the initial dip in UST price, but the resulting mechanism was as follows. When the price of UST dropped below $1, people started arbitraging it hard. This means they burn the UST for $1 of Luna each, then sell the Luna for a profit and keep doing this for as long as it's profitable. The problem is that selling all this Luna plummets the price. If you pay 90 cents to buy a UST and trade it for $1 worth of Luna, but that Luna drops to 80 cents by the time you've sold it, you're not arbitraging anymore. You're losing money. So the collapsing price and demand for Luna broke the arbitrage system that kept the peg in place. The result of this was a large drop in UST price. As a result, seeing that the peg was breaking, UST holders started massively selling off directly for dollars or burning UST for Luna and selling that off. This made the price for both Luna and UST crash further. And remember, if you burn UST, you get $1 worth of Luna, regardless of how much Luna that is. So the further the price of Luna dropped, the more Luna each UST creates. The more Luna is created, the further the price drops. This is a downward spiral that isn't going to stop. So yes, like with other cryptocurrencies, there is a like a m mining or a creation of coin. So when they're doing these UST burns, they are... <laughs> In effect, creating more Luna, which devalues the, the yeah. coin across the and board. And just to be clear, when uh, burning a cryptocurrency, you're literally, you, they basically send it to a non-existent address. It ceases to exist. So you're limiting, you're removing that from the, the supply, supply yes. and creating scarcity. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's a system that it, I, when it works, when everybody is playing along, yeah, it works great. Um, as soon as... You know, it's like I, a superhero movie where they're trying to keep all the power into some orb. Yeah. And they're using all of their force to do it. And then it finally escapes and all hell breaks loose. Basically. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, I, it really, yeah. Again, complicated on purpose. And that's why people who were investing in this thought they were very smart. Yeah. You just don't get it. You just don't realize y'all don't seem to understand that you can use one slurp juice or three slurp juices on one ape, which gives you three new alpha apes. I don't know why you guys, you guys don't understand this. Yes. Uh, but also about that 20% interest rate thing, uh, we should also explain anchor lending protocol, which is the main reason that so many people were holding UST in the first place. Because why would you put your dollars into here instead of just a savings account, which would presumably be safer? Well, here's why. Here's Coindesk explaining that. Anchor offers market-leading yields of up to 20% on the year to users who deposit their UST on the platform. Before UST started its decline late on Saturday, Anchor was home to 75% of UST's entire circulating supply. That's $14 billion of UST out of a total circulating supply of $18 billion. With so much UST locked up in Anchor, it became clear that most investors were buying the stablecoin with the sole intent of reaping those sweet, sweet Anchor yields. Depending on whom you ask, Anchor's relationship with UST was either an ingenious mechanism to manufacture utility for the fledgling stablecoin or wasteful marketing spend attracting unloyal mercenary capital. I think it's looking like the, the yeah. latter now. Now, investors generally aren't going to be too incentivized to just keep a bunch of their money stored in a token that's equal to the US dollar without the promise of some returns. But guaranteed 20% returns for just letting someone else lend out your money is absurdly high. And as, as it's pointed out in the CoffeeZilla video, 20% uh, is double what Bernie Madoff <laughs> promised the investors in his Ponzi scheme. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> little sus. Yeah. Little sus. But those kinds of promises keep people's money in the system and keep tokens alive. That is, until a bunch of people start running for the exits and trying to cash out their UST, which, uh, due to how this is all set up, they can always get $1 worth of Luna for one UST, even if UST is currently worth less than a dollar. 
uh, enough people do this, and it ends up triggering what's called an algorithmic stablecoin death spiral, which in this case has made Luna basically worthless and has severely unpegged UST from the dollar value that it's supposed to be pegged to. And there's a, probably a bunch of people who were very aware that this could happen, but oh, yeah. were definitely enjoying their uh, yields, and were just like, uh Let's see how long this lasts. So it's still, uh, I think, unclear exactly, you know, if this was a coordinated thing or just naturally a stampede running for the exits. But um, uh, Do Kwan, the uh, really cool guy behind uh, Terra and Luna. The, the person who seems like a great Yeah, the human guy being. who uh, just laughed at all the pores for questioning his, uh, and also, his wisdom before he, uh, he previously, like a couple months ago, some... Some guy made like a long thread being like, sir, please listen to me. Like you're leaving your cryptocurrency vulnerable to this specific type of attack, which I will outline here. And he's just like, yeah, whatever, hater. Loser. Yeah. Uh, also, he was uh, apparently behind yet another failed yeah. stablecoin as well. As all this was happening, uh, I don't know. I don't remember who who uh, finally unmasked him. It was some exchange, but they're like, oh, yeah, by the way. So the guy behind Terra Luna uh, turns out he was also the uh, anonymous creator of this previous stablecoin that collapsed in a very similar way. So, uh, yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of cool. there's a lot of finger pointing uh, uh, on purpose uh, with a lot of like rumors going around. And uh, look, I don't know, but there's a, the the main rumor seems to be that it's uh, specifically BlackRock and Citadel. There hasn't That's been behind, any yeah. like proof of that, and, and it's it's a a constant narrative it's that like, these oh, the are the companies are trying to take down crypto. Exactly. These it's... are the ones that were trying to short GameStop and, and all of that. So the, the one thing that they're looking for is a scapegoat to yeah. prove that they're not stupid or like, that it wasn't malicious. Even if that is true, that's still a fatal flaw mm -hmm. in your system that, um, sorry. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's wow. All this gone. can be exploited in yeah. this way. Oh, wow. That's the problem with like so much of this, like cryptocurrency code is lost. It is like, it really it never takes that long for someone to find some way to fuck it up. Like at least with Bitcoin, like the whole thing is such a simple, like limited uh concept that it's a lot harder to fuck with it. Yeah. But like all these newer tokens, they have like, you know, all this weird and logic happening to it with the the, the stable coin and the, there, and there the might have one. been some coordinated thing where people are like, look, we've taken all this VC money. It's time to get out while they're getting out. It's good. And then it's literally the meme of that tiny little domino. And uh, getting to the giant one where it's just like any instability in this is going yeah. to immediately ruin it. I think that, the well, death spark. The thing with Bitcoin, though, is that uh, I think it's, yeah, if any, there's only like five main mining groups running like 90% of Bitcoin's uh, mining. And mm -hmm. it's like if, if enough of them were willing to like team up, they would gain full control yeah. over the blockchain and cool. kind of do whatever the hell they want with it. So yeah, there's uh, you know, there's always issues here. But so when we say that it was unpegged from the US dollar, it means it's no longer worth a dollar, but how much less than a dollar are we talking about? How unpegged has UST become? Well, as of Thursday morning, and that was a few hours ago, so these numbers aren't even correct as of now, but as of Thursday morning, UST was worth around 37 cents, which is it's a lot less than a dollar. Yes. But those losses are nothing compared to Luna, the main victim of this death spiral, which on Thursday morning was going for around two cents. And I checked right before we started filming, it's down to one cent. So for context, Luna was worth around $80 a week ago. It peaked around $116 a little over a month ago. So if you had $1,000 worth of Luna at its all-time peak last month, you would now have, uh, I wrote 17 cents in the script, but it would be, uh, I guess it would be closer to eight or nine cents now out of $1,000. Poof. Um, yeah, the number continues to go down. So I don't know, by the time this video goes up in a few hours from now, it'll probably be even less than that. Basically, if you had any money in Luna, it's gone. Um, if you had any money across the cryptocurrency space, I know that today had like a slight rally with Bitcoin, but slight rally meaning uh, it's up a little bit from yeah. just a... Like if you look at it on like the daily scale, it's like, oh, it's up. But if you zoom out, it's no. like, no, 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 keep zooming. Like, I, I, it, it is nuts. I saw a great post. It was because, you know, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, he's like, yeah, I'll be taking uh, my like half his paycheck in Bitcoin or some shit. And so someone did the math. They're like, uh, those first few paychecks, he literally made negative money on it because you get taxed on the value you are paid in Bitcoin when you're paid in Bitcoin. And because it's fallen so much, like he literally owes literally, taxes. Literally on over leveraged on tax losses. Yeah. Like. That's what's crazy about when they announced that law last year. And it's just like, 
even like if you had any money left last December and it's like, you should really take a good long look at this now because uh, like we said, one ape uh, now you're going to get taxed on that yeah. as if it's something else. And obviously that whole thing's fallen through too. So uh, yeah, a lot of bad shit going on. Matt Damon has blood on his hands. Matt, yeah, no, I, it's like, you know, there's a lot of people to be mad at here, but Matt Damon is <laughs> unfortunately near the top. He, uh, you know, fortune favors the brave. Does it though, Matt? At least, Does it? at least in the case of Matt Damon, it's clear that he was hired on for a TV commercial. Yeah, which is he was paid in U.S. Yeah, dollars. There's a lot of celebrities who are out there on the front lines doing a lot of work with a lot of cryptocurrencies. Yeah, uh, Snoop Dogg comes to mind, who is in has his hands in a bit of everything. Yeah, he's you know he he. But that's busy. the thing is like the a lot of celebrities just like have their agents come to them and they're like, hey, look. Here's this commercial. You want to do it for, uh, I don't know, $250,000? And then, oh God, like a week ago was the Safe Moon thing, which I haven't even looked into that deeply, but that was another one. I think Safe Moon was more of a scam, but that was another Bitcoin that was being heavily pumped by... Cryptocurrency. Uh, he- yeah, uh, heavily pumped by uh, influencers online and stuff as like... It was like Jake Great Paul investment. And- like, yeah, they, that one totally collapsed. I don't know how much that affected the wider market, but... Um, yeah, that one should have raised alarm bells when they were like, I forget which country it was, but they're like, we're all going to like the Gambia or something like that. And we're going to turn their economy into safe moon. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, for the vast majority of people, uh, because we all know that uh, cryptocurrency specifically, very small community, actually, for the vast majority of people out there whose lives aren't affected at all by any of this, this might seem pretty funny. You're laughing. And it, (laughs) and it definitely, it definitely kind of is. And, And if you are someone who like, you know, a lot of people messed around with Dogecoin or, you know, uh, GameStop. That's not a cryptocurrency, but you get what I'm saying. If you lost some money, not life-altering money, yeah. um, you should use this as a lesson yeah. in life. It's an expensive lesson, but it's a lesson nonetheless. Y'all got to learn at some point. Because it could be a lot worse. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, a lot of real, ordinary people had their money tied up in Luna. Um, because line only go up. And everyone wants financial independence, right? To the moon. Uh, They had their money tied up in Luna and UST because they saw it as a pathway to wealth. And those people are very fucked. The subreddit for the terror community has been an absolute pit of despair this week. And it's been full of suicidal posts from investors who have lost everything. Uh, Very sad stories. Uh, There's posts even in stock market threads uh, because of the downturn in the market as well. Um, There's also a lot of presumably uh, the same people who previously would have told you to have fun staying poor if you criticize their investments. So, I mean, you don't have to feel especially bad for them, but have, I guess, a little bit of empathy for the human aspect of losing everything. It is important to remember that the biggest victims of all of this are normal people who simply wanted greater financial independence and ended up getting essentially scammed. Yeah, um, there's a really good episode of uh, the Chapo Trap House podcast from this week. Before, ben McKenzie. Yeah, before it was from be- the OC. It was before the big crash, like right before. Amazing they need to timing. have him on immediately after that. But yeah, yeah they had uh, Ben McKenzie, the actor from the OC, who's also like and Gotham and Gotham. He's done other things and uh, and Southland. Uh, yeah, he's like one of the biggest. Like he, he he's very very smart. He uh, wanted, almost became an economist instead of an actor, and he's a. Big crypto skeptic, but uh, uh, Felix from the Chapo podcast, uh, he he explained the desire for people to get into these kind of things uh, pretty well by saying it's like, you know, our parents all bought their first house for $20,000. That's completely off the table. But what if this Turns is our generation's thousand, yeah. version of that? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's and- another problem with... Our generation and the generation, the generation Z below, below us, where it's just like they're do- it, the desperation of having yeah. any kind of financial stability is very hard to come to terms with, and it's you want things to be not even as easy as your parents had it, but just a break every once in a while. Yeah, you want just a chance because yes. uh, you know you look at how much money you're making, how much money you're spending, and you're like, this is fucked. I'm never going to retire. I'm never going to own property. Like, and then you have what Matt, do I do? Matt but then, Damon telling you, yeah, that Matt Damon telling you that fortune favors the brave, and it's like, all right, well, I mean, at the very least, it sounds like an interesting thing to do, and uh, maybe I'll get rich. Well, yeah. anyway, the collapse of UST and Luna contributes to the drop in cryptocurrency values across the board because you know people panic sell one thing 
they see someone else panic selling. They sell they panic stop sells losses. Another and, thing, yeah. yeah. Um, and UST's failure makes people lose confidence in the viability of other stable coins that keep the whole crypto ecosystem functioning. But uh, Bitcoin in particular, which has dropped by about 25% in the past week, is directly tied to Luna, but in a kind of indirect way, um, because the Luna Guard Foundation, which is the organization that, uh, I guess, backs UST to ensure that it keeps its value. Again, a lot of uh, money <sighs> being spent to keep something stable. Yeah. So they had billions in Bitcoin reserves that were there specifically to sell in the event that UST lost its peg to the US dollar. Like, that's all fine. I'll just sell our Bitcoin reserves to get it back up. Well, uh, they've now sold almost all of it, or rather, I guess they loaned it out, but like, clearly it didn't do really anything. Yeah. And, um, and it, yeah, that made the price of Bitcoin take quite a hit in the process. Yeah. But anyways, this is a small and interesting glimpse at what could potentially happen if the much more widely used stablecoin Tether loses its peg to the US dollar, which would be far more catastrophic. Uh, Tether luckily isn't algorithmic like UST. It's backed by real cash reserves, supposedly. Uh, we're not going to get into that, but uh, there is a lot of spe uh, skepticism about Tether, and, and there has been for a while, and a lot of concern that a big enough sell-off across the market could cause a collapse that would make what's happened this week look quaint by comparison. I believe even Tether, not a lot, but it dropped to like 97? Yeah, 96. it's the lowest drop it's ha ever had. Yeah. So that fear is also likely one of the factors behind why so many people are trying to exit the crypto market right now, because as much of a shit show as this is, the next shit show could be much, much worse. And it's also people actually, they need fucking money right now yeah. that is tied up in, in this because of inflation and a million other things, uh, at least with a stock, there's some bit of safety net. If you invest in companies that actually do things. Yeah, it's uh, like, I, I don't think the Coca-Cola company is uh, losing yeah. its market dominance anytime soon. Yeah, exactly. Microsoft, even, even if they're Apple, going through something right now. Down, yeah. but uh, probably not going to go away for a while. Yeah, I, I think we're we're going to be in a bit of a I've certainly learned some lessons over the past six months with my retirement account. Uh, and seeing that drop, uh, I learned a lesson to not look at the phone because yeah, I, it's going to be 30 years from now that I can even touch it. So. Uh, like a real smart person, I uh, maxed out my IRA contribution. Day like, one, January 1st. Yep. And uh, it lost all of like basically the money that, I, that my maximum contribution was gone by a month in. All and my they, contributions And these gone. are all just like fucking ETFs. I'm tracking indexes. And even that is just like, where'd my money go? Yeah. I have a target date fund or some shit. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, of course, none of this means that crypto is dead. Um, there's been several crypto market crashes over the last few years, which the market has mostly bounced back from, or at least the big coins have. Though this one is, uh, is almost certainly the worst one so far. The other ones were kind of just like panic selling. It was sort of like a, In a long pump and dump. But this is like, there's actual like systems uh, influencing what's yeah. happening here. Uh, it's it, a lot more complex. Everything that we've seen this week and going probably going forward makes 2017 look so quaint in comparison yeah. where it's like, oh, this coin lost like $200 in value. Uh, well, anyway. I had $300 in this coin and now I don't have anything. It's yeah. like, uh, a lot of people lost their homes because they took out 0.5% loans against their fucking houses on a sure fire bet. It's 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 really fucked up. It's yeah. it's extremely fucked. Yeah, a lot up. of people were playing with uh, with house money. They weren't investing their own money. They were because of the low interest rates getting loans to buy more crypto. And now that money's gone, they and they still owe money. that money. It's yeah. real bad. Um, so it is kind of interesting how all this is happening almost exactly a year after the last crypto that most people remember, Dogecoin, was going up and up and up. Until it crashed back down to earth, literally right as Elon Musk was hosting SNL and being really bad at it. And um, speaking of Elon, his purchase of Twitter, it still isn't finalized, but he's been he's been openly brainstorming. Just throwing all the spaghetti at the wall and seeing what's Yeah, he's, he's got a lot of ideas on mm -hmm. how to improve Twitter. And one of these big ideas uh, is apparently to bring, bring back Donald Trump, who was, of course, permanently banned after the January 6th U.S. Capitol insurrection. And uh, it's a move that everyone saw coming. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, as far as shit posters go, he's the king. Uh, it is entertaining to read his tweets. I think it'd be kind of funny if he was back on Twitter. Hey, what's the worst that could happen, right? Yeah, I mean, he's already caused an insurrection. Da, 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 da. Yeah. yeah. What's he going to do, cause another insurrection? Anyway, here's, uh, here's TechCrunch. 
Twitter's future owner weighed in on the social network's biggest question Tuesday, leaving little room for doubt that if Elon Musk has his way, the platform's doors will be wide open for Trump. Quote, I do think that it was not correct to ban Donald Trump, Musk said in an interview at the Financial Times Future of the Car Summit. I think that was a mistake. Trump was issued a permanent ban from the platform in January 2021 for inciting violence when thousands of his supporters violently stormed the U.S. Capitol building. Musk went on to explain his belief that banning Trump, quote, alienated a large part of the country and did nothing to silence the former president. A dubious claim given that the country closely tracked Trump's nonstop Twitter activity for four straight years. Banning Trump from Twitter didn't end Trump's voice, Musk said. It will amplify it among the right, and this is why it is morally wrong and flat out stupid. For now, Musk seems to be buying the former president's claim that he has no interest in returning to his former social network of choice, where he once communicated directly to nearly, nearly 90 million followers. For now, Trump is spending his days on his own fledgling social app, Truth Social. And it's like, yeah, what are you talking about, Elon? Like, literally, it did silence him. It worked. And also, if it didn't silence him, why would you care? Yeah. Also, like the ban was pretty justified considering he inspired an insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. Yeah, I think that's like that's that is a bannable offense. Uh, I, I understandably so. Yeah. Still, dude cranked out some bangers in his day. Yeah, he really did. Yeah. And now those aren't even actually archived. I mean, they are kind of, but with the account being suspended, you can't like retweet them. Well, if he gets the account them. back, they they'll probably come back. Oh, what a wonderful day! I'll I'll rejoin. Uh, yeah, and look, so this that's the thing. Trump has already come out and basically said he has no interest in coming back to Twitter. We've talked about this. I think that he would eventually. Yeah. He just acts like he doesn't want to be back until, like, because if he said he wants to come back. Yeah, then he looks didn't weak. Allow him. Yeah. Um, he's instead spending his time on truth. Or he's not. Uh, no one knows because no one can get on it. Yeah, you it. don't really hear much about truth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I guess we'll see if that changes once the 2024 election cycle kicks off and Trump inevitably runs for president again. But meanwhile, despite Elon Musk being the richest person in the world, despite Elon already submitting a plan to shore up the $44 billion needed for the deal, he should have waited. Uh, yeah. uh, it looks like he won't actually be buying Twitter all on his own after all and has instead secured funding from a bunch of big venture capitalists <laughs> and also apparently the government of Qatar. Which is pretty ironic if you know anything about how free speech works over there. Yeah. Uh, thank you, the government of Qatar, for uh, helping me buy this free speech platform. You truly are defenders of free speech. He's also got a couple Saudis uh, getting in on it. And uh, that's not even the dumbest, most horrific thing that Elon Musk has said this week. Did you see his comments about the workers in China? Uh, I know he said they, have they like, don't just burn the midnight oil. They burn the 3 yeah, a.m. Like, oil. They have great, great work ethic. And, and not like these lazy Americans. And we got a story kind of about that later in the episode. But it's like, uh, yeah, no, China has terrible working conditions. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, here? I know it's it's way overused, just like everything else. But the quiet part out loud kind of thing. Yeah. It's just like you want slavery is what you want. Yeah, which is uh, I mean, if I if I was born into wealth in South Africa, apartheid era South Africa, I would uh, I probably wouldn't say things like that if I came from a yeah, society with a, a caste system in place, essentially. Whose, fa whose father was directly involved. <laughs> yeah, literally sending poor black people into a mine to get emeralds that I can sell in uh, New York City. Uh, I, would, I would just simply not uh, say anything. Yeah. He didn't just say Americans don't want to work anymore. He was like, you know what I like? You know what system I think is great? One in China, where they're, they currently can't even leave the factory because of uh, zero COVID. Yeah, I like how over in China, before they can even start pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, they have to actually build the boot. Mm -hmm. Then they can start pulling exactly. themselves up by their bootstraps. But we do have more news coming up. Uh, but first, this episode is sponsored by Factor. As the weather gets warmer, Factor can help you spend less time at home in the kitchen and more time enjoying the springtime and summer with no cooking, grocery shopping, or dishes. Plus, the perfect health-conscious grab-and-go add-ons like smoothie and juices are available as well. Even without meal planning and prep, you can still eat well with Factor. Factor makes it easy to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never-frozen, prepared meals that are so delicious, you won't believe they're actually good for you. Out of all of like the prepped uh, meal services that I've tried over the years... like it's easily the best. This is, yes, the quality I, I is great. I have eaten so many Factor meals, and I have not been disappointed by a single one. Yep. I'm actually like shocked. Like, how is this this good? Yeah. So yeah, feel good for summer. Choose from Factor's calorie smart and keto options with built-in portion control as a great tool to help 
you get fit for summer. Factor now offers 30 meals per week where you can choose from a variety of new meals every week. And on top of that, Factor gives you the option to change it up and select any plan size between four to 18 meals per week. Busy schedule for both lunch and dinner? No worries. Add an extra two, three, or even four meals to your order. Factor saves time by delivering chef-curated meals to your doorstep, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep. Not to mention cleanup. No dishes to wash here. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. That's even faster than ordering in. And like we said, we've both been eating Factor meals for a while now. And in addition to seriously being the best microwavable meals either of us have ever tried, what's great about Factor is that it tackles the tough stuff, so you don't have to. The registered dietitians and expert chefs work hand in hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. Factor even knows our preferences. They offer vegan and veggie meals, keto meals, low calorie options, cold pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, plant-based bars, extra protein, veggie sides, and more to keep you fueled and focused all day long. Head to go.factor75.com slash newsday120 and use our code newsday120 to get $120 off. That is code newsday120 at go.factor75.com slash newsday120 for $120 off. Link in the description as well. And this episode is sponsored by Raycon, makers of great wireless earbuds for whatever it is you're listening to. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge. Trust me. Raycons offer three sound profiles to match what you're listening to, plus noise isolation and awareness mode, so you can choose to be immersed in sound or be able to hear your surroundings when you need to. Very important if you're uh, in the city. Yeah, so I, I rarely leave the house without my Raycons, uh, whether it's just walking around the neighborhood or, or going shopping. It's uh, much more enjoyable going... Don't talk to me. I've got the Raycons. Yeah, in. don't bother me. Uh, you know, listen to my podcast, my music. They're always just a tap away, and I never have to worry about battery life. Yeah, Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and then a 32-hour battery life. Then when you need to charge, it's super easy. You can even do it wirelessly. And this is a huge selling point. With Raycon, you get the same quality audio as other premium audio brands, but at half the price. Yes, really. But that doesn't mean they won't last. These things are built tough and built to last. It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 49,000 five-star reviews. Check out Raycon's wireless earbuds. My guess is that you're going to want to leave them a five-star review too. So go to buyraycon.com slash newsday today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That is buyraycon.com slash newsday to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash newsday. All right, we have a lot more news to cover today, starting with a recent ransomware attack that has been catastrophic for its victim. Usually when we hear about ransomware attacks uh, where a company or organization's computer systems are locked down until a ransom is paid to unlock them, the victim takes a pretty serious financial hit but ultimately still gets to live to see another day. Now that's not always the case, and a ransomware attack has now caused a 157-year-old university to close its doors. Yeah, here's Gizmodo. <sighs> a university that originally opened its doors the same year that the American Civil War ended will shut down later this month. Lincoln College administrators have put the blame on a ransomware attack, which they say hindered admissions and fundraising activities during a period when the school was already struggling. Lincoln, a private, predominantly black university that originally opened in 1865, plans to close on May 13th. Based in Illinois, the rural college has suffered from financial troubles in recent years, including a shrinking endowment and dropping enrollment rates due to COVID-19. However, a cyber attack by a ransomware gang in December delivered the finishing blow to the school, the Chicago Tribune reports. The gang's attack encrypted important data, making it difficult for administrators to manage their recruitment, retention, and fundraising campaigns, administrators wrote in a statement recently published to the school's website. Universities need tuition from students to stay afloat. Not the big ones, but uh, these, <laughs> yeah. these universities uh, specifically. And if you can't recruit students because your entire computer system is locked down, you're in big trouble, especially if you're already dealing with other financial troubles. Uh, Lincoln College was a small school with a student body of less than 1,000 but to survive as long as it did, only to be finally taken out by a cyber attack, apparently origin originating in Iran. Uh, pretty sad. Yeah, what a legacy. We founded this school the year uh, after the year the Civil War ended as a place for, uh, you know, black people in the North to get an education in this this new society that we're building, this more equal society. And uh, yeah, I don't know, fast forward 157 years um, Something called a cyber attack happens yeah. and uh, no more school. So but in, uh, in yeah. other news, though, the, the tech world was, you know, it was the industry that most embraced remote working during COVID. But in recent months, tech companies have been gradually reversing their work from home policies and telling workers, 
to get back in the office, despite everything working out pretty much fine this whole time without everyone in their cubicles. And at least over at Apple, some workers are just not having it and are instead choosing to resign from Apple rather than come back to the office, even if it's still just a couple days a week for now. And it's not just low-level employees either. Apple's director of machine learning, Ian Goodfellow, resigned last week saying in a departing note to staff, I believe strongly that more flexibility would have been the best policy for my team. Uh, And this is part of a larger movement at Apple called Apple Together, which recently published an open letter voicing their opposition to a return to the office. Uh, Here's Ars Technica summing up their stance on this issue. Apple Together lists several reasons why they believe Apple's return to the office doesn't make sense for the company and its employees. The group attempts to debunk the notion that being in the office together allows for serendipitous moments of collaboration and creation. The group says that the company is already siloed, so collaborating with coworkers is more manageable when working from home when video calls to other offices or departments are sometimes easier to arrange than in the office. Apple Together notes the effect that commuting in heavy traffic cities where Apple has its offices, like the Bay Area, Los Angeles, or Austin, Texas, has on employees' personal lives, energy, and availability at work. The group also points out that requiring employees to live in commuting range from offices limits what kind of employees join the company. And the letter concludes by naming what its authors deem the most important reason Apple should allow more flexible working arrangements. It points out that Apple's marketing messaging positions products like the iPhone, iPad, and Mac as ideal tools for remote work, even as Apple tells the employees who design those products to return to the office. Yeah, that's a pretty damn good point. They gotta, uh, they gotta pay for that circle somehow. I know. Like, the big circle. It's, it's a really big building, guys. It's a big circle. It's, uh, I hate it. My wife's back in the office. It's, uh, it's not ideal. And, and your wife works in a, another uh, monolithic uh, building. Yeah, like, big guys, building. guys, you don't understand how special it is to have this cool building that people see it from far away. They're like, hey, look wow. at <laughs> yeah. Um But yeah, I mean, they make a good point. If if we're using and de- designing and marketing products that are specifically being marketed as work from home solutions, what the hell does it matter where we're working from? But on the other hand, um, Apple did spend $5 billion on its Apple Park campus, which takes up more space than the Pentagon. <laughs> so they do want to see that place filled. Our stance on this topic remains the same, though. Same as it ever was. Uh, if people want to go to work, great. Put all the extroverts in a room together. Have them check on each other all day. Big pizza parties all uh, the time. Yeah. Uh, if people, you know, want to work from home and it's been shown that doing so has little to no uh, negative effect on their productivity, uh, then fucking let them work from home. Guess Who what? Cares? It actually has a positive yeah. effect on it's productivity. It's actually great not spending two hours in a car all day. They, they Literally, a report came out and they didn't tie the two together because it's not in the best interest of uh, business publications to do that. But productivity was down for the first time in two years in Q1 of this year. Hmm. And what else coincides with that? The return to the fucking office. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you can't make the case for returning to the office based on productivity, then it's it's literally, it's about control. That's all there is to it. And sunk costs with real estate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and especially right now, like it's so fucked up. We've said this before, but like the fact that it's like when gas prices at their highest ever. It's like, all right, get back in the car and uh, commute back to work now. Yeah, it's and especially with inflation going on and stuff like that, you're like literally making your employee employer or employees poorer. And yeah. uh, in what we've seen in many cases across the board, not giving them cost of living increases. No. Um. So yes, they are now being taxed for going into work. Basically, it's fucking insane. Let me see those smiles. Everybody smiling. Hey, I'm gonna do all hands meeting. I want to see you all clapping in unison like little seals. Remember when our CEO would uh, come into the Superman theme? Yeah. <laughs> but he felt uh, real cool doing that. Yeah. But uh, there are plenty of much worse companies to work for than Apple, like TikTok, which was recently covered in the Wall Street Journal in an article about how overworked TikTok's U.S.-based employees are as they struggle to keep up with their counterparts across the Pacific in China. Uh, From that article, in Los Angeles, the base of TikTok's U.S. operation, some employees complain of sleep deprivation exacerbated by frequent work on weekends and mandatory meetings with colleagues on the other side of the globe. Several former U.S. employees said they averaged 85 hours of meetings a week during their time at TikTok and had to carve out additional time to complete their work. Another said he persuaded his boss to spare him from working back-to-back all-nighters only after he shared medical lab results showing a potentially life-threatening condition. Former employees described weight fluctuation, stress, or emotional lows so severe that they sought therapy. 
One said she felt such pressure to be present during back-to-back -back meetings at TikTok that she bled through her pants rather than excuse herself to get a tampon. And uh, here's a couple paragraphs that should sound familiar to anyone who's ever worked at a startup. Many TikTok employees tolerate the hours and lack of work-life work boundaries because of the prospect of a payout if its parent company goes public. Quote, you want to be on that rocket ship, said Pablo Martinez, who was a global account director for ad sales at TikTok until February. Mr. Martinez said he left after he objected to having to work all weekend, even though his project was on schedule. And the response he received from a manager was, that's not how we do business here. So, guys, I know that we're, this is real hard right now, but just imagine. Imagine, just, just like when those, uh, when those Luna coins take off and go to the moon, when this company goes public, we're all going to be rich. So it'll, be, it'll all be worth it. I mean, I will be much richer than you, obviously. Mm -hmm. But you'll be kind of rich, nouveau riche. But yeah, that startup hustle and grind thing uh, with TikTok, it's, it's even worse because that's on top of having to keep up with the company's main office, literally on the other side of the world. Uh, so you're essentially working a normal U.S. workday, plus uh, you're also working on... China's workday schedule, so um, I guess you'll sleep when you're dead. Which, as Elon explains, is uh, a 20-hour yeah. workday. Yeah, uh, uh, but here's more from the article. <clears throat> Last year, the Chinese government told employers that a work schedule at some Chinese tech firms of 996, meaning 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week, was illegal. Cool. Uh, ByteDance said it would adopt a 1075 standard, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. five days a week. Many employees say the longer hours remain the expectation. Uh, some former U.S. employees of TikTok said that to attend virtual meetings with managers in Beijing, they often had to begin their work week on Sunday afternoon, which is Monday morning in China. Quote, I actually think I developed a sleep disorder from working so late into the evenings, Chloe Xi, a former employee in California, said in a YouTube video. Knowing that the majority of the company is awake when I am supposed to be sleeping gives me so much anxiety at night. And on top of all that, apparently TikTok's internal organization is uh, is kept a secret, even from its employees. So no one ever really knows who to reach out to about anything. And they also, they'll have multiple teams at different offices, essentially competing with each other over the same work. Uh, and that's with or without their knowledge. There's like several examples of people here being like, uh, yeah, it took us like a year to realize that there's another team in the New York offices doing our exact jobs. And they're essentially pitting us against each other mm. to like figure out who to lay off in the next round. Um, so yeah, sounds like a real bad time, but hey guys, that's just what happens when you live in a country with barely any labor protections and you're working for a company that's based in another country with a notoriously terrible work-life balance and you're working in an industry known to work its employees half to death. Uh, it's a very unhealthy recipe and <clears throat> well, uh, it gets things done. We'll say that. Uh, yeah. Well, that's the problem uh, <laughs> specifically in America and specifically with the millennial workforce is they feel bad for not going above and beyond in their jobs yeah. uh, because there has always been that threat of just being laid off because you're expendable completely. Uh, we have no protections like our parents' generation and the generation before them. But it is such a funny, like, American, specifically millennial thing because um, this is years ago. Uh, I had friends at a, a startup where half of the company was in France and <laughs> the They'd be like, you can't get a hold of these people. You're like, yeah, because they Cause, tell you to fuck off when they're yeah, done with their job. And I mean, if they go on vacation, they don't speak for a month. It, it, one of the most successful uh, propaganda plays the Americans ever did was uh, making people think of France as like this weak little, uh, you know, effete country. Like they have these people live like kings. They get like two months vacation a year. They they clock in and they clock out. And it's literally fucking illegal for yes. their bosses to bother them for the rest of the day. Yes. And uh, society there functions pretty damn well. There's uh, certain annoying aspects of it, like uh, if you need something in the middle of the night or, you know. But, but you deal with it. Yeah, you deal with it. Uh, but yeah, in general, like, it was so funny. The, the I think it's the Defunctland episode on Euro Disney where uh, they're like, fuck, like, this is so much harder than building the parks in America because when you build... In Orlando and Anaheim, like, they'll just do whatever the fuck you tell them to do. They'll, you can work your workers to death. And, like, in France, they're just like, no. I'm like, what do you mean, no? It's like, we're not going to do it. You can fuck off. <laughs> yeah, you can fuck off. That's literally how it was. They'd be like, yeah. oh, we got it's crunch time on this project. And they'd be like, we can't get a hold of anyone at the parent company. Oh, well. Yeah, tough shit. Get, <laughs> deal with it tomorrow. Yeah. And guess what? It never matters. Yeah. It's, you're probably going to be fine. Yeah. Nothing ever matters, especially in the <laughs> tech world. But TikTok's work culture apparently borrows quite a bit from Amazon's work culture. And to end things on a positive note today, 
Amazon labor union president Chris Smalls, who shocked the country recently by winning a union vote at his Staten Island warehouse, recently spoke to the Senate Budget Committee and showed up dripped out in a Yankees hat and an Eat the Rich jacket to talk to some of the most powerful elected officials in the country. I think he also might have had a grill in his, in his mouth. I'm not sure, though. Uh, so let's watch, the par- uh, watch part of his opening statement where he lays out his union's case and also singles out Lindsey Graham in particular. Um, well, first of all, I want to address Mr. Graham. Um, first off, you know, you're, it sounded like you was talking about more of the companies and the businesses in your speech, but you forgot that the people are the ones who make this, these companies operate. And if we're not protected, and if the process for when we hold these companies accountable is not working for us, then that's not what, that's the reason why we're here today. That's the reason why I'm here to represent the workers who make these companies go. And I think that it's in your best interest to realize that it's not a, a left or right thing. It's not a Democrat or a Republican thing. It's a workers thing. It's a workers issue. And we're the ones that are suffering in the corporations that you're talking about, in the businesses that you're talking about, in the warehouses that you're talking about. So that's the reason why I think I was invited today to speak on that behalf. And you should listen because we do represent your constituents as well. Um, so just take that into consideration that the people are the ones that make these corporations go. It's not the, it's not the other way around. So yeah, there's a longer version of that clip where we'll link it, uh, we'll link it down below where Chris Malls goes more in depth about his union's fight for better working conditions and the ways Amazon has repeatedly broken the law and played dirty to try to stop them. So check that out. I love this guy. He, uh, the way he frames it, he's like, he's like, this isn't politics. It's not a political thing. It's like, literally, I'm just telling you, like, Workers create the product, um, and you can't you know, abuse. We're us. asking for a little more respect. Yes, because without us, you got nothing. Uh, that's it for today's uh, very long uh, episode dealing with a lot of cryptocurrency. I hate crypto. <laughs> God damn it! Um, but if you're still in the mood for some content, uh, we we did a complete dissection of the uh, MTV for gamers called Ven, which is obviously long dead now, but survived. Uh, well, it didn't survive very long. It only existed very long. Another startup that would have gotten everyone involved in it super rich if it wasn't doomed to failure. Exactly. And only propped up by VC cash yeah. that was quickly depleted. Uh, it's a fun episode, so check that out. Also, uh, the, the best episode we've done in probably a month, the arm penis. If you want to find out about that arm penis and where it is now, you can uh, check the videos where over here. Be? Subscribe to the channel. Thank you again, everyone. The uh, the fundraisers now. Yeah, we raised over like, thirty thousand. Oh, incredible! You all love you. You're beautiful. We love you. Videos are up there now. Check them out, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye.